Wonderful. Good morning. What a joy it is to be with you again. It's lovely to come back to Belfast. I've been here four times this year, speaking in different places, because it's the 150th anniversary of OMF, who I work for. I uh, want to thank you as a congregation for your support of OMF, for taking great care of Nathaniel and Donna and Micah and Tabitha, and of course for Trevor as well, who I'll just echo what Gordon says. He's devastated he can't be here this morning. He was looking forward to marking my sermon. He told me he was going to do a Strictly Come Dancing vote from the back and hold up paddles with, well, I was hoping for a 10, but he said, there's no chance you're going to get a 10. Uh, I'm Jared Charles. Uh, I was um, born in England, grew up spiritually in Scotland, sent out to China in 2002, served there for 10 years and came back in 2012 for family health reasons and have stayed back for a season, taking on this role with OMF, for the Director for Mobilization and Media, um, which really means going around the country, mobilizing for mission and seeing the church engaged with mission. And it's great this morning to be in a church that's so well engaged in global mission. What a joy to be in a place where I really feel at home when I see your, your, your brochure and I hear about your mission committee and I feel a number of people engaged with mission is, is very high indeed and it's a joy to be with you. But you know, things have changed dramatically since the days of Hudson Taylor. We still look to him as a legacy. But you know, when Hudson Taylor went to China in 1853, the first time, it took him 163 days to get there by boat. Because the Suez Canal wasn't open, and he had to go around the south of Africa. If I was to go to China tomorrow, it would take me 12 hours. What took Hudson Taylor half a year to do now takes us half a day. The world has shrunk. It is a much smaller world. This trend in globalization has radically changed mission. When Hudson Taylor took out his first party, when those hundreds of people as the mission grew, they were almost exclusively white, almost exclusively British. And then it grew Americans and then Australians. Today, it's multicultural. We are from 40 different nations. Our leadership is Asian. And that reflects what it's like to work in East Asia today. The idea of missioners from the West to the rest has gone. It's gone, and a good thing too. We work in a global church. We are all members of a global church. We serve together with our brothers and sisters from all over the world. And we go to East Asia, not as leaders and, and pioneers and in charge, but we go at the invitation of the church in East Asia to serve the church in Asia. And you know, when I come back to the UK a few years ago and travel around, I find many churches haven't really shifted their, their way of thinking from an old paradigm from the idea that we still send people out to the poor lost in the middle of nowhere and they go out there on their own and they're pioneers. In some places, pioneer mission is still urgently needed. But we always, always seek to work alongside the indigenous church. We seek always to see the indigenous church strengthened. And we ask and wait to be invited, what do you want from your brothers and sisters in the global church. Three years ago, I had the privilege of attending a conference in Hong Kong at which many 
Chinese church leaders were invited. The church in China today has probably grown to something like 70 million people. The church in China today has radically changed and is rapidly changing even now. One of the things about China is the rate of change. What takes the UK 50 years in the kind of industrial revolution takes China five. And that's true also within the development in the church. So what we see today are churches that are increasingly engaged in reaching themselves, the global cities. Urbanization in China is incredibly rapid. And so the church is having to adjust from being largely a rural church 25 years ago, now primarily to seeking to reach out in these mega cities, many of which we haven't heard of. China, in 10 years' time, is predicted to have 221 cities with a population over 1 million people. I lived in a city in the northwest of China that most people have never heard of called Xining, 2 million people. 2 million people. The church is changing to respond. At this meeting I attended a few years ago, I asked the question that many people in the UK ask me. They say to me, you know, there are more Christians in China than people in the UK. Why on earth would we still think there was a need to send workers? So I asked the churches, what do you want today from your brothers and sisters in the global church? What is the need and this is what they said. It was one chap who I particularly talked to. I asked him where he was from. He was from Shanghai. He was about 30 years old. He led a church of about 20,000 people. A church network of 20,000 people. 30 years old. And I said, what do you need from us? And he said, you know, we don't need money. Our country is one of the richest countries in the world now. There are many poor people in our country, but the church is not lacking resources. We don't need Bibles. We print more Bibles in China than any other country in the world. You know, we don't really need you to bring us training because we can get whatever training we need. All I have to do is send an email to Tim Keller in Redeemer and ask him to come and train global pastors and we will make an appointment and we'll translate him. I'll tell you what we need, though. What we need, what we lack as a church in China are models of ministry. We lack models of cross-cultural ministry. We don't understand how to move into a different country or into a different culture within our own country and truly become like the people, to seek by all means to reach the people. So when we see missionaries from other countries come, from Africa, from Asia, from Latin America, come to China, and live amongst us, and learn our language, and come with their families, it communicates something to us as a church in China that, that we don't see. We need to see this more. So when, and I reflect on that myself, and one of my early years in Northwest China, when I would meet a Chinese believer, the first question they ask you is, where are you from, of course, and I tell them, and then they would say, are you married? Very early question in Chinese communication. Are you married? Yes, I am married. Oh, is your wife at home then? Meaning in the UK. No, 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 she's here too in China. And they would look puzzled for a moment and say, well, you married a Chinese person, did you? No, 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 she's British too. Well, who's looking after the children? Well, they're here too. What, you've all come? 
It's shock on the face. This is not a model that the Chinese believers have grown up with. The model is send one of them, send the man, send the woman to go and be a Bible teacher. But don't move the kids. Don't move the family home. That's unheard of. And so you have this model of ministry in China where a man or a lady will be sent away for a year or two years into a far-off part of the country, leaving the family at home. And they wonder why there's so much breakdown. They wonder why there's so much temptation and struggle for the person on their own. But the idea of moving your family is a new one. So this Chinese brother said to me, please, please, communicate with the church in your country. There is still a need for people to come and incarnate themselves. We are mainland Chinese, Han Chinese Christians. We have a heart for Muslim people. I worked amongst Muslim people in, in northwest China for those 10 years. The Chinese church wants to reach out to Muslims, but they don't know how to do it. And they want to work alongside missionaries, alongside us. We're not going to lead them or boss them around or tell them how to do it because we make lots of mistakes. But to do it alongside them, to work hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, with our brothers and sisters. All my examples are China, but the same could be said for Thailand, for Japan. You heard Ho and Laura Jane talking about working alongside the church. They work alongside the Japanese church. We're in this together, friends. We are members of a global community, the Church of Jesus Christ, and we want to do it in partnership together. So the world is changing. Mission must change too. Thank you so much for your interest in, in our work in OMF. I look forward to coming up again in a few minutes' time and opening God's Word together. But thank you. Thank you. Would you open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 1? And we'll read together the first nine verses. Acts, chapter 1. And Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, 
He was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. Acts 1 verse 8 records for us the post-resurrection Jesus as saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And perhaps those concentric semicircles represent that concentric circle approach of mission. I don't know, but it struck me as I see that in front of me. I said already that my wife Sarah, my children Anna and Matthew served in China for 10 years. We lived in Qinghai. We were sent out by our church in Dundee. We were supported by many friends and other churches in Scotland and in England. We went to the city of Xi'an and learnt Chinese for three years. Moved up to the far west of China to work as a forester, which was my professional background, in environmental protection projects, working on the Tibetan plateau, but with a real heart to reach Muslim people. It's a very Muslim region of China. There were about 30 million Muslims in China, seeking to mobilize the Chinese church to reach out to Muslim neighbors. My job as a forester didn't give me access to Muslim people. I was out, away from the main population centers. I was in the middle of nowhere, and it wasn't working. And so I changed careers. Sounds simple to say that. God had to close one thing and have me wrestle with it to change careers, to gain me access to Muslim people. So I've shifted careers and I'm a PhD student in international affairs with a special focus on Islam in China. So now when I go to China, I go to be with Muslims always and only. I go to mosques every day. I interview imams, church, uh, mosque leaders. I eat in Muslim restaurants. My entire identity is one who wants to know and understand Muslim people. I'm usually the first Christian they've ever met. This despite the fact they live in a country with 70 million Christians, living in a city of 2 million people, with two quite large churches there. As I say, we came to come back in 2012 to take care of aging parents, and uh, I've taken this role on. But I think back to my days in northwest China. I think back to being on the main street of Xining City during the Big Eid Festival, where you will see lined up on the main street of this communist country's city, nearly 300,000 men in white hats, bowing down to Allah in unison. 300,000. Every Friday in that mosque, there are 26 mosques in the district, but the main mosque, you will find 30,000 men gathered together, bowing down to Allah. You will find at all the prayer times during the day, countless thousands of people. I, part of my research meant going to every one of the five prayers in each of the mosques in my district. When you go to a five o'clock prayer time in a mosque in Xining and find three and a half thousand people there, it does make you admire the zeal. I don't know how many people come to an early morning prayer meeting in your church. In my church, at 7 a.m., not 5 a.m., at 7 a.m., we manage 25 sometimes. That seemed to be quite good. Three, three and a half thousand men, 5 a.m., 
for prayer and throughout the day. But when you see these countless thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Muslim people without Christ, without witness to Christ, seemingly without any hope of witness to Christ, it changes you. It does something to you. It makes you very zealous, very passionate for an opportunity to befriend these Muslim people and explain the hope that we have. To do this with gentleness and with respect, but still to explain the hope that we have. And it gets you so passionate about the need for more workers and to come back to the UK with a real desire to mobilize people, to get see the passion, let's see more people going to befriend the Muslims, not just of Xining, not just of China, but there are 1.6 billion Muslims in the world today. And statistics say 84% of them will die having never met a Christian. 84%. So you come back to the UK with zeal to see the church mobilized. And what you discover as you go around the UK is a decrease in interest in overseas mission. A decrease in focus upon the needs of the world. And I find myself questioning Does the church in the UK see the Great Commission in Matthew 28 more as an option to be considered rather than a command to be obeyed? Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Is that an option or a command? Is this command to go somehow no longer relevant to us in the 21st century? And here's Jesus in Acts 1.8 saying, Be my witnesses, Here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and yes, to the ends of the earth. What I hear when I go around the UK are people who are bothered about Jerusalem and Judea, meaning their local context, and not so bothered about the Samaria and the ends of the earth. I go to many of these Christian festivals listening to missionary speakers, and I'll tell you what I hear the most. People saying this, well, we're all missionaries really, aren't we? We're all missionaries, aren't we? Just where God has placed us. I want to challenge that statement this morning. I want to challenge that statement. I understand the sentiment behind it. I want to distinguish this morning between the call that every single one of us in this room has to be a witness from a distinct call to be a missionary. These are two different things, I believe. I absolutely agree and want to affirm The critical importance of every one of us being an effective witness exactly where we are. That's what we mean, I think, when we say we're all missionaries. Be effective where God has placed you today. If you're going to be effective in what you're doing this time tomorrow, then you need the prayers of your church. It grieves me so much to talk to teachers in my own church who say, I've been a teacher for 20 years. It was only when I started teaching Sunday school that the church started to pray for me. I'm with children from the church for like 25 minutes a week. And they pray for that, but they don't recognize that the rest of the week I am equally a witness for Jesus Christ. And I say amen to that sister. Every single one of us, whatever you do tomorrow, you're a witness for Jesus. You're called to be a witness for Jesus. 
And I didn't know that you did this time tomorrow here. I found that out from Gordon earlier on. I was going to talk about that. We do it in our church. We do it in our church. We say, this time tomorrow, how can we be praying for you? But what we do in our church, I'm not 100% behind because they ask for volunteers. If I was to say, who would like to say what they're doing this time tomorrow? Then you will evaluate if what you're doing this time tomorrow is worthy of the prayer of the church. And I disagree with that. Whatever you're doing this time tomorrow, whether you're walking the dog, going to the supermarket, playing golf with some friends, looking after your grandchildren, sitting at home alone, or at school, at work, wherever, whatever it is, you are called in that to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And you need the prayer, the prayers of your friends, the prayers of the church to do that effectively. We must pray for one another to witness well. That's every Christian's responsibility. But I want to remind you, it's different from being a missionary. It's different. The Great Commission will never be fulfilled by the local church only acting locally. It will never be fulfilled only by our local witness. Our local witness is critical. It's absolutely critical. But it's not the whole thing. It's not enough on its own. And in the declining church in the UK, the focus of the UK church is so much now becoming exclusively on the UK that we lose something. We lose something of the call of God as a global church. I mean, what do we think? Are we leaving the, the task of going to the ends of the earth to somebody else? Are we waiting for some local churches to magically emerge where there was no church before? Or the 1.6 billion Muslims that suddenly have a change of heart and decide, oh, maybe Jesus is the Son of God after all. Do we think that the, the 92 million people in Vietnam who are without witness in the majority Vietnamese people are suddenly going to wake up one day and decide to follow? We need to be real. We need to be real, passively waiting and praying and just hoping something's going to happen is not the mission of the church. Now don't hear me wrongly. Prayer is foundational. Prayer is critical. But you know, when you pray, you need to be prepared to be the answer to your prayer. You know, have Isaiah's experience in the, the passion and the, and the feeling for the lost, for a nation. And God would say, who will I send then? Who's going to go for me? And to be ready to say, here am I, Lord. Send me. To have that kind of engagement with, with the global need. But are we not all missionaries? No, no. No, don't misunderstand me. We are called to be witnesses where God has placed us. But it's not the same. Let me explain the difference. In the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this to the church. He says, you're the body of Christ and individually you're members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Scripture tells us that in the church, God's appointed some to be apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists. But it doesn't mention missionary. It doesn't mention missionary. Why not? Have you ever asked yourself, why not? 
Well, one of the reasons is that missionary is a Latin word, has a Latin origin, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And I'm no Latin scholar, but the Latin word missio, from which we get missionary, means to send. Send. The equivalent Greek word is the word from which we get the English word apostle. Now, this is not capital A, apostle. These group of people who are witnesses to the resurrection whom the Lord used for, to, to, for, for the writing of the New Testament and the initial spread of the gospel at that time. Not that kind of apostle, but one who is sent. One who is sent. And Scripture tells us not all are apostles. All are witnesses. No escaping that responsibility we all have. But not all are apostles. And I think we can say not all, therefore, are called to be missionaries. But what's the difference? What's the difference between you in your school teaching away as a good witness and somebody who is called to be sent by their church? Well, one of the big differences is that as members of the global church, we are sent either cross-culturally or cross-geographically to a new place to a new place, to leave behind the old and go to a new culture. That will mean learning language. That will mean learning a new expression of the gospel. Sometimes people say, is that not just a waste of time and money? Have you had the experience of praying for missionaries who are in language school endlessly? And you wonder, surely it's going to be better just to you know, employ a Japanese evangelist. Why are we sending somebody to go and try and learn Japanese? But this is in the, within, the, within the global church. The partnership of each member of that church from all the diverse cultures is used of God as a demonstration of what the kingdom will be. Because the kingdom is not mono-ethnic. And it's not healthy for a church to only have a mono-ethnic vision or experience. We need that diversity. And God uses that diversity. And I challenge the church in the UK frequently, are we ready to be recipients of mission? Are you ready as a church for the Lord to call two Chinese evangelists from northwest China to come and serve in Belfast with a heart to reach the Northern Irish people? And I get pastors say, oh, I'm really excited about that. But think it through. How would you train them? How would you find them work and visa? How would you incorporate them? How would you give them the cultural understanding that they would need? Is it worth the effort? Mission is no longer west to the rest. It's everywhere to everywhere. Are you ready to receive? Are you ready to receive? Missionaries will do anything to reach the people that they're called to reach. That's another big difference. You know, I said at the beginning in my story, I changed my career because I wasn't getting access to the people that God had placed on my heart. I changed my career so I could be with Muslim people. All Christians are witnesses, but not all are called to go to the Samaria or the ends of the earth. Not all are called to leave their home culture, to leave their employment stability, to be separated from their wider family, to go to a new place and learn a new language, a new culture, to effectively communicate the good news in a new place. If we are all already missionaries anyway, then we can just stay where we are and save the money and the hassle. Just stay where you are and be a witness, if we're all missionaries anyway. But if that's the case, 
How are you going to interpret what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10? When he's talking about those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they going to call on someone they've not believed in? He says. And how are they going to believe in one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? I want to absolutely affirm the critical importance of our local witness and to pray for each other as we all engage in that. But it's not the same as being a missionary. Missionaries aren't higher or better or special or wanted to be on a pedestal. It's a different calling, set apart by the church and sent out. And it seems so encouraging to me to have your leaflet entitled Sent Missio right across the top. And you're sending well. Missionaries are sent to fulfill the Great Commission, the ends of the earth ministry. The needs and the opportunities for this are huge. And the problem I see in our church in the UK is that because we're being told that everyone's really a missionary anyway, the urgency of sending people to these far-off places with no witness has diminished. It has diminished. By lessening, though, also, by lessening our exposure to cross-cultural work, we lose out as a church. I mean, if you've been on a short-term trip or you've served overseas, the way it enriches your life, the way it enriches your prayer life, the way it enriches your church cannot be overstated. We can get really well informed by people who've been serving in other places. I mean, who's not been encouraged to hear of what God is doing in other parts of the world? What an encouragement to hear of a people movement from Islam to Christ in Algeria. How that can encourage us to persevere. We're to hear of, of a, a Catholic movement to Christ in the Philippines. To hear of Muslims for the first time understanding the gospel. You know, nothing beats it sitting in a mosque in northwest China with an imam and having him say to me, for the first time, I understand what Christianity teaches. And his eyes demonstrate that understanding. It took about three weeks of friendship and, and daily conversation. And I'm waiting for him to say, so can I believe now? And I say, well, what do you want to do about that? He said, oh, well, well, I'm a Muslim. I can't do anything about that. But he knows. He understands now what Christianity teaches but you see, we learn other things that will inform our local witness from our engagements in global ministry. And I'm going to close with three very brief lessons for you, for us here in the UK in our work. Three lessons to learn from cross-cultural mission that we apply today. The first is this, the importance of language learning. Hang on. We already speak the local language here in Belfast, most of us. What do you mean by language learning? Language is more than words. Communication is more than words. Meaning is many layered. When I am working in Northwest China with Muslims, I can speak fluent Mandarin and I can explain to a Muslim that I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in God, the one true God. And when he hears me say that, what I've communicated with him is not what I intended to communicate. I've told him 
because I believe in the one true God, that I'm a Muslim. That's what he heard me say. I tell him that I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I've used all the right words, but what he understands is that I think God had sex with Mary and they had a little baby together. Communication is more than words. And that's true for you in our increasingly secular culture. How do we communicate the gospel? We assume when we say we believe in God that people understand who God is or what God means. And I don't think we can make that assumption anymore. We have to think about the vocabulary we use in the church as well as outside the church to be able to communicate the truth of the gospel in a way that our neighbors will understand. We so quickly learn jargon, Christianese, this in-church language, that nobody understands what a testimony is. A testimony is something that happens in a court of law, but we use it. Let's, let's think about the language we use with our friends and be real and be authentic and bring our language to a level that communicates this truth in a way that our neighbors and our colleagues understand. So language learning informs us here. The second thing is the importance of demonstrating the gospel in our lifestyle. Lifestyle communicates. We want to clearly demonstrate Christ in the way we live. But at the same time, we don't want to be off-putting by being overly pious or overly holy-looking and, and put people off. There's a tension, isn't there, between being authentic and actually being relevant. We had that tension in China, too. Now, I was working amongst Muslims, so I had to make a changes to my life so that I could be seen as a man of faith. I could be seen as somebody worthy to listen to. So it meant not having a bacon sandwich on a Saturday morning, which is a big sacrifice for me. You know, not to eat pork at all. It's a big sacrifice to you and I. It's a huge sacrifice to a Chinese, where pork is the meat in China. But we need to change our lifestyle to make ourselves accessible. Now for us here in the UK, what does that tension look like for you? That you need both to be able to be a witness as a Christian and yet not be off-putting, be attractive. I often say to people, if it became a crime tomorrow to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? What needs to change to make your home, your lifestyle, how you spend your time, your priorities, distinctive yet appealing? We must learn that together and we can have that informed by our exposure to cross-cultural ministry and finally we want to learn this big lesson which I'm still struggling to learn back in the UK and it's the importance of intentionality of being intentional I knew why I was in China every day my purpose was meet Muslims befriend Muslims seek an opportunity to share the gospel with Muslims it was clear that's why I lived I find that harder here. I find that harder every day to get up thinking, I live as a witness to Jesus Christ and everybody I meet, I want to introduce Jesus to. It, it's kind of, it doesn't really fit in British culture. It doesn't seem to be, it seems to be a bit countercultural somehow. When you go to a place with a purpose of sharing the gospel, you're intentional about your time and you're intentional about your friends, who you spend time with. It's so easy just to be a nice guy and get on with loads of people. 
working with Muslims. I can have as many Muslim friends as I like as long as I don't mention Jesus. That's true in our country too, I think. You have as many non-Christian friends as you like. But if you mention Jesus, you run the risk of losing them. And I want to challenge you this morning. How intentional is your life? To make, are you looking to be a nice person and hoping somehow that your Christianity will rub off? Have you bought into that dreadful quote, preach the gospel and if you have to, use words, which I frankly think is a right load of rubbish because faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. When there are thousands around us here going to a Christless eternity, we have to ask ourselves, can we continue to invest in the same few relationships without ever getting to the point? Sharing Jesus with people. We need intentional relationships. We should be taking Jesus seriously. If people reject your message, shake the dust from your feet and move on. That's a very challenging word for us in our UK culture because we want to have friends we will stay with our friends for decades. And maybe once at the beginning we shared that we were Christians, but they weren't very interested. But we carry on investing, 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 and hoping one day maybe it'll rub off on them. You have to ask yourself, how long should I pursue this friendship when there are thousands of others around me who are going to a Christless eternity? What does this mean for your relationships? Do you seek to move your regular conversations on to a gospel encounter? Do you pray each morning, as I did in China, but I failed to do here, Lord, this day, open a door for your message. If you dared pray that each morning, you'll be shocked how many opportunities God gives you. But it's not enough to pray the prayer. When the opportunity comes to share your faith, we have to trust him for the courage to take it. Because it's hard in British society today to stand up for Jesus. But that's what we're called to do, friends, as witnesses. God's calling all of us to participate in his mission. It isn't an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. So I hope you are one who's ready. Ready to be one who prays. Praying for unreached people. Praying for your friends and your neighbors. Praying for missionaries. Praying about countries. Watching the news and praying. Reading the paper and praying. But always praying, saying, Lord, if I'm to be the answer to my prayer, here am I. Send me. Let's, yes, let's witness locally in our Jerusalem. Let's be passionate for Judea. But let's not neglect Samaria, nor the ends of the earth. Because the local church acting locally will not fulfill the Great Commission. My prayer for you as a church is that you will continue to be strengthened and that all of us together would be faithful, intentional witnesses in our communities, in our workplaces, in our homes. But that God would continue to raise up and send out from this place missionaries to the unreached ends of the world for the glory of his name alone. Amen.